Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Backerkit and The Gadget Flow. Backerkit makes software that crowdfunding project creators use to survey backers, organize data, and manage orders for fulfillment by automating your operations and helping you print and ship faster. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am joined with Philip Winter from Nebbia. And if you guys don't know, Philip has joined us almost 100 episodes ago, basically almost two years ago, since he first had his original campaign, The Nebbia Shower, which absolutely crushed it on Kickstarter back in August, September of 2015, raising over $3.1 million. Philip, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Roy, it is a pleasure to be here again. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. So, you know, this was one of those super awesome campaigns. So I backed the campaign. I think we did a little consulting for you guys as you guys launched it. I've got my shower now at my house. And let me tell you, it is an experience. You know, I think people take it for granted. You know, it's just the water comes out, but it is truly a unique experience. So thank you for changing my mornings forever now. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that I'm a part of your mornings now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just a little history lesson, I guess, for our community. So the campaign, you know, absolutely crushed it. You know, surpassed your $100,000 goal in the first eight hours, doubled that in another two and a half hours. You guys did a ton of work and events, you know, before ever launching. You got some pretty high profile investors of Eric Schmidt and Tim Cook to come in. And you guys, you know, really put in a lot of effort into the campaign. So backtracking a little bit, it's been two years since we last spoke. Give our listeners a little bit of an update and background of, you know, where where Nebbia is currently. Sure. So as you mentioned, we launched on Kickstarter in August of 2015. So it's coming on two and a half years since we launched. I think like many folks who do a campaign on Kickstarter, there is a life before Kickstarter and a life after Kickstarter. And the series of work and communications and milestones look very different on the before than on the after. And we had a lot of work to do afterwards. You know, we still were in prototype phase and we had to finish some product development and ramp up our supply chain. And I think as with anybody doing hardware, it's always more challenging and more costly than you can really ever forecast for. Unless you've done it two or three times, it's really hard to know with precision. But it's been an amazing ride. You know, we had an obsessive focus on getting a certain quality and we were relentless in our pursuit after that. We've talked to a bunch of suppliers in Asia and in the US and we ended up choosing a manufacturer in Minnesota. We've been very happy to work with. And we have now shipped 15,000 units to about 45 different countries in the world and are excited and working on our next generation products. So let's back up, Philip. When you guys were creating Nebbia, I know you talked about the overall design process and making an exceptional product. You know, how did you guys go about deciding what features to ultimately include, you know, with the campaign launch and with the product's initial version? Lots of user testing, lots of beta testing with prototypes. And so we had done a lot of that already before Kickstarter. And we had the feature set mostly locked down. There were a couple of things that still needed to be decided. And a couple of decisions that came up through the process that we didn't know would be decisions. 
and it's a combination of of product design engineers and people more on the you know customer side, marketing side, weighing in and just getting lots of people to to try it. You know, I remember we had to make some tough calls. One of them was how do we mount this to the wall? We had one system on Kickstarter that we thought worked pretty well, but through extensive testing, we realized it wasn't as reliable as we wanted it to be. So we had to go back to the drawing board, and we came up with a much better system. You know, the wand mounting we had just sort of a simple latch on, but we ended up discovering that magnets made it a much more magical experience. It also made it more expensive. We decided to eat the cost to make the product better. And so there was a number of those where the coin fell one way or the other. What were some of the biggest challenges that you guys encountered when you were designing the product? You know, the biggest challenges are around making something that is functional and beautiful, but also feasible to build on a mass production level. And, you know, one thing I would go back and do differently in a future campaign is involve our manufacturer sooner in the process so that a lot of the design decisions are taken into consideration with the experience of the manufacturer and what the challenges are going to be, you know, in making this in a reliable, mass producible way. That I think is super important for anybody building a physical product. Absolutely. So we always talk a lot about, you know, how important the month or two leading up to a launch of a crowdfunding campaign is. And I think you guys spent even longer than that. Can you give our audience some ideas of, you know, how to put their product in position to, you know, fully fund on the first day or what you would recommend to other projects to do before they launch to put themselves in such a great position? I think for us, it was talking to a lot of people who had been through it before. And by doing so, you sort of pick up on the common themes and common threads of what did all the successful campaigns do, right? It's basically building up a lot of hype beforehand in the way of people expecting your campaign, you know, whether it's in the hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands, just having a really good cohort of people who you know are going to support it in the first 24 hours to give it some initial traction, because that will really help. We really studied videos and said, what makes a great video? And and really sort of look for the emotion in a video. And, you know, there's there's sort of key aspects to a video of explaining the product, the story, the vision, why Kickstarter is the right place, but really putting a lot of diligence into the video because that's the most important component. And then if you can get in touch with Kickstarter and have somebody answer questions and facilitate, you know, getting the project up, that's also super important. Now, the best advice I can give is talk to a lot of people who have done successful campaigns. You know, by a lot, I mean at least a dozen. Yeah, and I think that's solid advice, especially for first-time entrepreneurs and startups that are cash-strapped, you know, that's just a a matter of your time and reaching out and following up and trying to just have engagement there. So solid advice there. On your video, you know, it's unusual because your campaign video is longer than what we would typically advise our clients or people to do. But, you know, it truly did captivate people throughout the entire process, you know, very captivated, very, you know, testimonial heavy as well, which, you know, kind of personalize the brand, which we think, you know, really captivated the audience throughout the entire process to know that they were going to have this magical experience, if you will, that they've never had before with a shower experience. We looked at a lot of different video lengths and and tried to make sure that we hit on each of the different aspects that we thought was core to the video. And we were probably in the upper end of how long you want to be. But you 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 really have to sort of study the medium and understand what is working and what's not working. And it, and it looks very different across projects, you know, hardware versus something in the arts. You know, the best advice I can give is to really understand what made the successful campaigns successful. And then there's an element of it that's sort of out of your hands, which is a virality effect. You know, and press certainly helps for that. Um, But you can do everything to sort of key yourself up for at least reaching your goal and surpassing it by some margin. Definitely. So you talked a little bit about, you know, communicating with, you know, just anybody that you could get to view the product and get some insights on it. Let's talk about your backer communication after your campaign ended. 
what did that sure. look like? How did you guys handle that? You know, because you had over 8,000 backers for this campaign. So how did you continually keep them in the loop and, you know, continue to the, engage them until delivery? You know, I think we learned throughout the way when we finished the campaign, we were overwhelmed with the amount of support we had. We weren't prepared for it. So for the first couple of months, we didn't have a very formal update process and we were figuring out some of our plans. A few months in, we decided that in order to keep an open and transparent dialogue, we were going to commit to a very consistent update cadence. And so the last day of every month for see, we did it from January until for almost two years. So there's probably about 22 updates. We sent it on the last day of every single month and it would detail what we did. And it was a good 10 to 15 paragraphs of information along with images. And that made sure that we were moving because we knew that we were accountable to <laughs> telling what we had done at the end of the month. Uh, and we had some delays. You know, we put a lot of thought into how we communicated to them and, and tried to be as transparent and upfront as we could while also explaining what was going on. I think the cadence of our updates was super important. And a lot of people commented on, hey, you know, don't worry, they're going to they're gonna give us an update in three days, right? And that, I think, gave us some credibility. Absolutely. And people could still take showers with their pedestrian shower heads, you know, still in the meantime <laughs> while waiting for their, their Nebbia experience, right? Exactly. So, you know, you had mentioned something earlier before of involving, you know, the assembly or the manufacturing or the product development teams involved in that process early on. You know, what other tips might you have in that same vein to help some of the you know hardware folks coming out with products, you know, involve those aspects of their business? in the campaigns before they ever launch? I think a couple of things are super important. In order for a Kickstarter campaign to be successful after you've already achieved your funding, you want the project to live on, right? And so it's super important to, to know with as much precision as possible what your real cost structure is. Are you charging enough for whatever the reward is on Kickstarter? Do you have enough margin? Do you understand what the margin structure will look like after the fact when you start to go into other modes of distribution, whether it's directly on your website, using Shopify, or whether it's in retail or on Amazon? As much of that as you can study beforehand and really without your manufacturer fully locked down, invested in product, it's very hard to know that. And if you get that wrong, it can be very costly. And I think that's an important part of the downfall for a lot of companies and a lot of projects and campaigns on Kickstarter. So as much as you can have that fully vetted beforehand, it'll give you confidence to know that you're setting yourself up for success post-campaign. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's certainly what happened with Ryan with the coolest cooler, right? You know, just didn't have him involved in the full process and drastically misquoted that development cost of that product. Yeah. So you talked about Amazon. I know I went on Amazon right now just to check it out and you guys are out of stock out there. It looks like things are moving off the shelf pretty quickly for you. Things are moving pretty well. That, that just happened yesterday. So we should be back up in the next day or two, but uh, it's been a really good channel for us. Nice. So talk to me a little bit about your experience with shipping because this box is absolutely, it's a big box. It's not massive. It's a big box. But you know, what lessons have you guys learned? Because that always can be a problem for a lot of our entrepreneurs and startups with shipping. What lessons have you learned that you can share with our audience there? It's important to also have an understanding of what distribution will look like and fulfillment logistics. There's many different ways to go about it. Most companies work with a third-party logistics firm and they ship them all of the inventory and then they deal with slapping on the labels and making sure it gets to the customers. Because of the size of our box and because of the capabilities of our manufacturer and the geographic location, we decided to ship directly from our manufacturer's warehouse. 
So we cut out one of the steps in fulfillment, which is getting from manufacturer to the 3PL. That worked for us. You know, it, it basically also, you know, that like many parts of the process just took a lot of studying. Talk to other companies. What have they done? What's worked well? There's no stock solution for every company. You have to sort of understand the um, nuances of your own customer base. And for us, given the location of the manufacturer and the size of the box, it economically made more sense to have a relationship with FedEx ourselves, to negotiate a, a discounted rate, and we were able to get a really good rate, and to ship it directly. It also means that we can deliver a little bit more quickly because there's one less step in the process. It also means that we have to deal with more stuff internally. We have to have someone managing that pretty much full time. These are the aspects of setting up a company and an operations team that, that come you know with process. Yeah, and it's an absolutely beautiful box and presentation of the product as well. So I know a ton of thought went into that, just the same as the physical product itself. Thank you. You know, we we actually have had two boxes. The first one was about 11% larger volume wise, but it came from manufacturers that were further away from our facility. And it was it was just too much waste. And so we worked hard and about halfway through fulfilling all of our Kickstarter units, we were able to work in new packaging that not only cost less, but it was manufactured within 100 miles of our product manufacturer versus a couple thousand miles away. And so we cut down on the CO2 emissions of, of moving all that stuff around. And, you know, that, that sort of constant iteration is one of the advantages of having a team of people that can continue to, to work and iterate. So we were able to leverage our engineering team for a lot of that. Yeah, that's great. So as you mentioned, you guys have fulfilled over 15,000 orders for this, you know, I guess 8,000 right. of those from the crowdfunding campaign itself. So if you were to do it over differently, what would you do differently? If I were to do it over differently, I would know what I know now. <laughs> um, and and I would probably have more planning beforehand and have a better expectation around cost, around timeline, around suppliers. But I wouldn't change it you know, in the past. It, it, it worked for us. The timing worked for us. We were able to build the product we wanted to build. We're already working on the next product. But experience on some level definitely pays off. We were fortunate to raise additional financing from investors. That was important for getting everything off the ground. If we didn't have that, we, we wouldn't have been able to do it. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a commonality with a lot of projects that, that raise additional financing beyond just their Kickstarter funds. So answer if you don't want to, or if you do or don't want to. But on the financing side, in terms of raising capital, so we have a lot of startups that you know look to be valuated based off of their campaign raise. But I think I heard you say that, you know, you guys were able to raise capital before your campaign finished to give actual sales numbers. How would a first time entrepreneur or startup potentially navigate those waters? It's a good question. It's the first time raising capital for me. And we raised some capital before and after Kickstarter. I think, you know, there's there's lots of good stuff written on the internet about how to do it and lots of good videos. And you sort of have to understand the terminology first and foremost. But pretty much everybody in their first venture starts with friends and family. You know, like that's always the first round. And whether it's $10,000 or fifty or 100000 or several hundred thousand dollars, most people start there. And it allows you to build a prototype, to build a proof of concept, to show some promise. And people are really just backing you at that point. Once you have the prototype, you can go to slightly more formal investors, you know, angel investors who invest money that they have made you know, regularly in startups and they're used to working in the very early stage. And that allows you to build a campaign with some resources, perhaps have a little bit of a team to have some investment in the marketing and the production side. I think Kickstarter is is where you prove proof of, you know, concept, there's interest, market demand, and off of a successful Kickstarter campaign, you can raise more money to really go scale it. That's the general process for almost all ventures that I've known about. If you were to give one piece of advice to someone else looking to crowdfund their, you know, home product or bathroom product, whatever it may be, what advice would you give to them? 
I would say find something that you're passionate about that you really love doing and try and build it first and figure out what it's going to take to build it and really understand the, the nuance of what it takes to build something if you haven't built it before and go for it. I mean, it's a, whether you, you know, it becomes a company or it's just a project that you, know, you can generate a little bit of extra money on the side or just have a, have a fulfilling experience and build something that you think the world needs that doesn't exist there. There's a wide range of ways to do it. Kickstarter is an amazing, amazing platform and we're living in an amazing time to do that. It's inspiring and you know, the, the only regret you'll have is not trying. Um, and so you, you might as well go for it. Absolutely. So you had mentioned another product coming out. Where else do you see Nebbia headed in the next two or three years? Yeah. You know, we have built Nebbia and the vision even since Kickstarter was to build a company that transforms the way that people interact with water in their daily lives and doing that by building products that people love and that are better for the planet. And we think there's a lot of room for innovation in terms of how we experience water and, and making it more sustainable. And so we are working on some versions of Nebbia that will be accessible to more people that will open up new markets, continue to transform the way people shower. You can envision other products in the home that use water and we're looking at those as well new solutions. This gets us into our launch round. Now, I know, Philip, you did this last time. I'm going to try and change up the questions as much as I can. You good to go? Good to go. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? Undoubtedly, my previous job, which was at a nonprofit called Endeavor that helps entrepreneurs in the developing world scale their companies. And I was basically immersed in a world of entrepreneurs for about a year, just seeing them at different stages of the companies. And I said, the thrill of this and building something is, is what I want. So it definitely traces back to that experience. So if you could grab a beer with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? Oh, man. <laughs> I'd grab it with more than one person. Definitely on the list somewhere would be Steve Jobs. And for obvious reasons, it's cliche, but I mean, what he's built in his stories and the passion are second to none. Probably Yvon Chouinard, who built Patagonia, a very different type of business, but one that really has his DNA. Those are probably the two that I look to the most that inspire my company because there's a lot of similarities in the way that we're trying to build our businesses. If you had a chance to ask Yvonne a question, what would be your first question for him? How do you keep a relentless focus on your vision and mission for the company when there's so much pressure to scale and to grow sales, you know, and just to stay alive sometimes? How did he keep such a mission-oriented focus to the company and push the limits and do things that were counterproductive to profits, knowing that it was best for the planet, for his company, and for his own long-term health and interest? I actually ended up buying that book after you recommended it, you know, a couple of years ago, I read <laughs> through it. So it was an interesting journey he went, he's going through. Favorite place to shower? I'm getting intimate now. Favorite place to shower? Oh, man. We have a really phenomenal showroom in our office in San Francisco, and it's pretty awesome. We have two Nebias set up, where we're constantly testing different versions. So that's probably my favorite place to shower. If anybody's in San Francisco and wants to visit, please just visit our website and drop us a line. We have a little portal where you can schedule a shower visit. I think you'll enjoy it as well. Favorite song to sing in the shower? Favorite song to sing in the shower? Boy, that's a tough one. I, I like White Christmas by Bing Crosby, I think it is. There you go. All right, Philip. last question. What does the future of crowdfunding look like? I think it continues to grow and expand well beyond small projects. And I think big companies start to get into it. Tesla did this two years ago where they essentially did a crowdfunding project for the Model 3. I think it's going to evolve a little bit and get more sophisticated. I just hope that the long tail, which is the artists and the you know creators who are doing it sort of on a mom and pop basis, I hope that that continues to have a really big voice and really big share of the crowdfunding market because that's, that's what makes it magical in my opinion. Absolutely. Philip, this has been awesome. This is your chance to give our audience your pitch. Tell them what you're all about, where they should go, and why they should go buy a Nebbia shower. 
Yeah, we are Nevia. Our first product is the Nevia Spa Shower, and it is a better shower experience, a beautiful, innovative design, and it saves up to 70% of the water used by regular showers. Imagine it is sort of feeling like halfway between a steam shower and a regular shower, but in your home, and you can upgrade it and install it in about 10 minutes with you know very easy installation. If you want to learn more, visit our website, nebia.com, N-E-B-I-A.com, or shoot us a line, and we'd be happy to answer any questions. Killer. Philip, thanks so much for being on the show. Audience, thanks again for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the show notes, transcript, links to everything we talked about today. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Backer Kit. And if you loved this episode and you loved Philip, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We would definitely appreciate it. Philip, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks a lot, Roy, and thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.